Ephesians chapter number 3, verse number 20. Do you remember the days when you'd say, turn to whatever, Brother Williams, and you'd hear tons of pages going, <laughs> that's a thing of the past almost, isn't it? Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, not according to the power that worketh in him, um, <clears throat> but according to that power that's at work in us. The Amplified Classic Edition says, Now to him who by, in consequence of the action of his power that is at work within us, is able to carry out his purpose. Everybody say his purpose. Say it again, his purpose. And do super abundantly, far above, over and above all that we dare ask, or think infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, or dreams, and you can seat yourself in Jesus' name. <clears throat> I have um, I have been intrigued lately with some things in Scripture, and it seems like, at least with me, that that's the way it happens. Uh, I love a diet, a steady diet of the Word of God. I really do. But with me, it seems like that from time to time, there will be something in Scripture that just leaps out and gets my attention, and uh, it stays there, and I don't, I don't try to move on past it. I, sometimes I may go back and read the same verse or the same passage for weeks and months at a time and not even venture off into anything else. But as long as the Lord keeps drawing me back to that, I keep going back to that. <clears throat> I remember in Maryland one time, I was there to preach a revival, and it ended up being nine and a half months long. And the first Sunday morning that I was there, uh, the Lord had me read the verse of Scripture in Malachi. Uh, then they which feared the Lord spake often one to another, and, and a book of remembrance was written, and the Lord heard it and hearkened unto them, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them which feared the Lord. I don't know that I had ever preached from that particular scripture before that morning. I don't remember having never done it. And I couldn't tell you right now, Brother Burke, what the Lord said after I read that verse. But we went on ahead and had a, had a go at it, and then that night we come back to church, and I thought I was going to do something else, and the Lord said, I want you to read that verse of Scripture again. And because I thought perhaps he had forgotten, I reminded him, Lord, we did that this morning. And the Lord very kindly said to me, so you, you think you can get everything in one verse in one shot? I said, no, sir, I probably cannot. He said, then read that verse again. I said, okay. And so what I'm going to tell you is for the next nine and a half months, that's the only verse of Scripture I read. Every time I'd get to that pulpit, the Lord would say, go to that verse and read it again. I have no idea why the Lord did that. Some nights, uh, we, whatever the Lord ended up doing had nothing to do with that verse of Scripture. Some nights it was a dissecting of that verse of Scripture. I, I just, but you know what? When the Lord's in charge, you just do what the Lord says do and let him deal with the consequences of it. 
And <clears throat> so it has been that way for years with me that there'll be, sometimes it's a thought, it's a theme, it's a topic, it's a subject, it's one verse, maybe it, it's one word. But until the Lord says move on from it, I don't, I don't look for something else to say. I don't look for something else to preach. I don't look for something else to talk about. And <clears throat> so that's why I'm going to read again this morning some verses that I have read multiple times in multiple locations, and you may have heard it. I've read it on Tuesday nights more than once. Luke chapter number 2. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. Some of you, by the time we're done here, will have your weekly reading in, and you can have a guilt-free week this week. Luke chapter number 2, starting with verse number 1, and it came to pass <clears throat> in those days. Now, that's a, um, that's a powerful five words, and it came to pass. You just let that soak in over the next few days. It came to pass. <clears throat> that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And there's where it all started, right there. Oh, Caesar. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. Now, thanks be to God, we don't all have to pack up and go back to the city we were born in to pay taxes. We can mail it in or do it electronically. Everyone into his own city, and Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea and into the city of David, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. Now, I'm just going to tell you, uh, just in 2023, there's some terminology that they could use in Scripture that I don't know I'd really advise we use in today's world. I have uh, been around a few pregnant women, and right there at the end of all that, uh, I just don't think it'd be highly advisable to tell her you are great with child. <clears throat> you let the Lord lead you, but I'm, I'm on refrain from that particular phrase. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. Now, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 1, starting with verse number 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David. I got to tell you, it's going to be kind of hard for our young men to dream dreams right now. They can't get off him playstations and video games all night and sleep long enough to have a dream anyway I'm gonna move along I won't dwell there I'm just saying you get into that fantasy football it's gonna turn into fantasy something else saying Joseph thou son of David fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost and she shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall save his people. There's a lot of definitive statements in this passage. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done. That's one of my big questions in, in Scripture and anything else. My, 
my go-to immediate question is why. Now all this was done, why? That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, our final passage of scriptures, Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to start with verse number 1. <clears throat> now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east, and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go look diligently for the young child, and when you found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy, and when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God, oh, there it is again, in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, here it is again, in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. There's a good principle. Keep doing the last thing God told you till he tells you to do something else. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, got up. At, when God tells you to do something, get yourself up and go do it right then. Don't wait and reason about it until you've talked yourself out of it. Do it while the urgency to do it is still on you. So he gets up in the middle of the night, gets Jesus, the young child, and his mother, and departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord uh, by the prophet. Why did they have to go to Egypt? Because something had to be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I have called my son... Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under. <clears throat> two years old and under. He killed all the children, male and female, that were two and under, according to the time which he had diligently acquired inquired of the wise men. It had been two years since he saw them, and so he just went on ahead, and any child two and under, kill them all. Then it was fulfilled. Again, something had to be fulfilled. That which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying in Ramah, 
There was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping, great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they are not. <clears throat> this passage of Scripture, and again, like I said, I'm not going to be uh, vague about it. I have, I have preached from that passage a number of times lately. That passage of Scripture intrigues me and our first reading, Unto Him That Is Able. There's not one thing God, I want to establish that before we go any further. There's not one thing God cannot do. There's not one sickness on this planet God cannot heal. It doesn't matter what the doctor's report is. It doesn't matter how bad it is. It doesn't matter how uh, fatal the diagnosis may be. There's, there's not one thing that God is not able to deal with, not even death. I've watched God raise the dead multiple times. And so uh, I know for a fact that the power of God can reach across the threshold of time and eternity and bring the dead back into the land and time of the living. I've watched him do it on three different occasions with me standing there watching him when he did it. And these were people that had been gone on to the grave for more than 20 to 30 minutes at a time, each of them, one of them for over an hour. So there's nothing in my mind that God cannot do. And I think that all of us in this room would readily agree to the fact that God can do anything. Can I get a witness to that? Am I, am I correct that we all believe God is able? Everybody believes God's able to do anything. Just hold your hand up. Just move it. <clears throat> we, we believe it. What we're not sure about, though, is whether he will or not. We are hesitant to call on him, not because we don't believe he can, but sometimes we're not sure whether or not he will. And it is not my job to determine my outcry based on whether or not I believe he's going to or not. My responsibility to this whole equation is I'm going to cry out to him with everything I've got. I'm going to put all of my trust and all of my faith and all of my confidence in God. Faith, you've heard me say it before, faith is what makes us take his hand. Trust is what keeps me from turning it loose. Faith can move mountains, but it doesn't always move them. Faith can cause the waters to roll back, but sometimes it don't. They walked on dry ground in one portion of Scripture and were shipwrecked in another. The miracle in the ocean and in the waters was there in one situation with dry ground to walk on. In another situation, the miracle in the ocean was there and a man walked on the water. He didn't need dry ground. God said, my power can either move the water or let you walk on top of it. Either way, it's fine. They were shipwrecked and all of them survived. God can do anything in any situation that needs to be done. But he did not roll the water back for Peter. He did not roll the water back that night when the seas were turbulent. He didn't do it. Sometimes Paul had to swim in one occasion. Sometimes we've got to deal with stuff that we had faith in the beginning. I believe God is going to change my circumstances. But what about when he doesn't? I was sitting in that office a while ago thinking about it, and I told Brother William standing over there. I was thinking about it, and it just kind of hit me <clears throat> as I was looking through Scripture Thank God for people who are willing to go through a wilderness. Thank God for people who are willing to go through a trial. 
Thank God for people who don't get discouraged when things don't go their way. Thank God when the Lord doesn't heal everybody in my life, there's still somebody encouraging me, hang on to him, don't turn him loose. This isn't the time to drop out of the race. Just because it didn't turn out the way you wanted it to doesn't mean that God's not in charge. The enemy might paint you a picture and say, you know what, everything's bleak, everything's terrible, the world's in a mess, my life's in a mess, my health is in a mess, everything's all tore all to pieces. But you know what, at the end of the day, God's still in charge. And it doesn't matter if we've got a up in the middle of the night and go down into Egypt. God's got a purpose for you being in Egypt. And I've thought a lot about it. <clears throat> My wife's grandfather was a God-fearing man. Just, I, I mean, he loved God. You hear me? At his funeral, they asked me to say something about him and, and speak a few minutes. And I, I just, I told my wife, I said, I don't really have a whole lot I want to say, except that in the years that I knew him, I came to know that he really was a friend of God. He, the, he and the Lord had a friendship. And if God was going to do a miracle for anybody, I would have thought it would have been uh, Fred Uzzle. I, I really would have believed that it would have been that man. I, there was nothing in my mind, Brother Williams, on day one when they called and said uh, he walked in and, and had some uh, CT scans done and he had a, a, a bowel obstruction due to a hernia, going to do a routine surgery, and three weeks later, we would be at his funeral. I had no idea that was going to be the outcome. Uh, six days after he was buried, as a result of that, my wife's grandmother, his widow, was going to be in another hospital in Jackson, Mississippi, having surgery on the exact same issue. Tremendous pain, even at the funeral. Days went by. We finally got her to go to the ER. She had a bowel obstruction due to a hernia in the pretty much the exact same spot. Never heard of anything like that in my life. But you know what? Just because we buried him on a Wednesday and she had surgery on a Sunday, my faith in God was no different. If the Lord chooses to take him home on Wednesday and take care of her on Sunday in another way, that's fine with me because at the end of the day, there's always a purpose in everything God does. We've got stories in Scripture that we can look at because somebody was willing to be faithful in a trial. Job could have done a whole lot of things differently than what he did. And yes, he lamented his circumstances. Yes, he moaned about it and he complained about it. He made statements like, I wish I had died in birth. I wish my mother would have aborted me, essentially is what he said. I wish she would have done something in that moment that it would have caused me to have died and not be born. And he griped and he complained and then when that woman he was married to challenges him and says, why don't you then just curse God and give up on the whole deal? He looks at her and he says, you, even though I may be griping about what I'm going to is foolish. I'm not going to curse God. I may wish my circumstances were different, but I'm not about to blame God for this and curse God for this and check out on God in this time of trouble and in this time where I need him more than ever before. You think about that. Job had some things to say. And the Lord was not mad at him for saying it. Finally, however, the spirit of wisdom does come along and stop his forward trajectory. And he says, hey, wait a minute. Were you there in the beginning when the foundations of the world were laid, Job? Job says, no, I wasn't. He said, then how in the world do you in, in, in any way pretend to sit here and pass judgment on the power of God and the intellect of God and the will of God? God will stop you before you cross the line. 
Job was allowed to have his say, but he didn't get to have his way. God will let us have our say, but he doesn't always give us our way. And sometimes we want to predicate our kingdom commitment on whether or not we got our way in every situation we go through. And I'm going to tell you something. It's, it's been my personal experience that a lot of the circumstances that I personally have had to face and, and in my family and uh, like this situation recently with my wife's grandparents, I didn't get my way. I, I had faith. I walked in that hospital. I flew home from Maryland early. I was supposed to stay another day or two, and I caught an early flight. My wife asked me to fly into Jackson. She picked me up at the hospital in Jackson. We went to Vicksburg, and I walked in there where he was. He'd been in a coma for several days, and <clears throat> some of the family was in there, and they finally said, would you just pray for him? I said, you know what? I think I'll just pray with him. That's what I was thinking. So I took his hand, and they had him strapped to the bed so he couldn't jerk or convulse, and and he had IVs everywhere, and they had him kind of tied a little bit. And I just began to pray with him. And uh, it didn't take but about 30 seconds. And all of a sudden, he just spasmed, and his whole body got rigid. And he started moving that tongue, and he'd been un unconscious for days. But there was something about that friendship that he had between him and Jesus. When, when his spirit began to bear witness that somebody in the room was talking to his friend, he began to respond to that. And he kept trying to raise his hand and pray, and tears were running down his face. In that moment, in that moment, I will admit to you without a word from God, I really believed God was going to raise him up. It just, it made all the sense in the world to me that God was going to raise Fred Uzzle, store him to health, and what a, a testimony and a witness that was going to be. But I didn't get my way. Janie Uzzle, my wife's grandmother, didn't get her way. None of the family got their way. But God had his. What we're doing in the kingdom, really at, the, at its core, is all about submission. We've got Job's story because Job was willing to trust God when he didn't get his way. We've got stories throughout scripture that we, we look at and we draw strength and encouragement from. And they are stories of people that we say, well, what a triumph it was. But there, was, there, were, there were bitter places in that story too. And there was loss in that story. And there was grief in that story. And there's a lot of uncertainty in all of our stories as we walk with God. I don't always understand what God's up to. But what I do know is he's able to do anything he wants to do. <clears throat> I am not serving, trusting, walking with, obeying and submitting to some deity that is not able to do exceeding and abundantly above everything that I can think or ask. I do what I do every day and you do too because we have that confidence in him that God is able. The Lord's able. The Lord's going to keep us. We get ready. I've told you before, I think every, every plane that I get on, I've got my right hand. I don't know why I do it. No, nothing about that right hand, but I've just, I've always got my little carry on in this hand rolling it in and I, I take that right hand and I put it on that plane and say, in Jesus' name. That's all I say. I don't talk in tongues, fall out foaming on the little bridge there. I just put my hand on the wall of that plane and say, in Jesus' name. And that sums it all up. And I have great confidence because I know that if it's not my time to go, uh, we're going to get where we're going and everything's going to be fine. I know a story of an old prophet uh, several years ago got on a plane in Dubai. 
And he got on this plane, and they lifted off, and they got out. And, man, they'd been airborne for about 45 minutes. He was sitting up in first class. He'd used some points and miles, and he bought a first-class ticket back. And he was uh, sitting up there, and, and he's 70-something years old. And they look out, and hysteria breaks out on the plane because one of the wings is on fire. And, and the, one of the motors are on fire. The engine's out there just ablazing. The smoke just billowing off of it. And the flight attendants are doing everything they can to talk on that little radio and get everybody to calm down, uh, which was futile at best. Ain't nobody calming down when the plane's burning up. We got to get this thing on the ground or get it in a puddle of water somewhere, do something. <clears throat> Finally, the pilot's doing everything he can to calm it down. He's, they're, they're doing all the stuff they're supposed to do, and, and they're shooting whatever fire extinguishers through the plane's wing, and, man, they're trying to extinguish all that, and uh, it, it, they're not crashing, and they got a whole bunch of other engines on there, but it don't matter. It don't matter if there's 20 engines. If one of them's on fire, we're going to panic. That's just the way we're designed. And so this old prophet got up, and the stewardess is trying to, she said, sir, you need to sit down. He said, you need to give me that little microphone. She said, sir, you need to sit down and fasten your seatbelt. He said, you need to hand me that microphone. She said, who are you? He said, I'm a prophet, and I need to speak to these people on this plane. She handed him the microphone. He said, my God, people, stop all this and listen to me. And the plane just froze. Everybody got quiet. He said, the prophet's on this plane, and we're not going to crash. I've got some people in the airport in Dubai that I need to teach a Bible study to, and the Lord's sending us back so I can go tell them what's actually supposed to be told to them. They've been lied to about salvation, and I've got to go teach them a Bible study. So sit down, and we're going back to Dubai. In a minute, the plane banked, and the pilots headed back to Dubai. They landed in Dubai. The plane, the fire went out. They land in Dubai. He comes walking off the plane. A guy walks up to him and said, Are you the prophet of the Lord? He said, As a matter of fact, I am. Will you come with me over here to this lounge and talk to me and my family? We've been looking for the one true God, and we feel like we've been lied to. In just a little while before his next flight took off, he had prayed through over 40 members of that family in the name of Jesus and had them lined up to be baptized. God's got a plan in everything he's doing. And no matter how he sets about to accomplish his will, you and I have the confidence of knowing, I think we do, I do, I don't know how you feel about it, that whatever I've got to go through to get to the end of this thing, God's got a plan for it, and there's nothing else the enemy can do to shake our confidence when we realize that God is able to do whatever he wants to do. The problem, however, is that I'm not always willing to cooperate with him when he does it. The struggle is between us and him. To do what needs to be done, Brother Walker, and do it my way. <clears throat> Sometimes the Lord will give us a prophetic word, and we say, you know, Lord, just keep me reminded of this. Lord, God, please don't ever let me forget this word. And then you look up and you're going through a situation that seems like it's going to end up the opposite of that word. The whole purpose of that circumstance, Brother Walker, is to keep me reminded, oh, no, I got a promise. I got a word from God. This whole deal is going to be all right. I'm going to speak life and I'm going to speak faith and I'm going to do whatever I got to do in confidence because I've got a word from God that this thing's going to work out. I'm thankful for people that are willing to go through struggles. I've been through some, and I hadn't always enjoyed them. Matter of fact, I can't tell you one I've enjoyed. 
But at the end of the day, if I, if I was to sum up our history, there are things that I would say about me personally. I wish I had not had to go through them. But I don't think I would go back and do it over and do it differently today. Because what God has taught me and what God has revealed to us, we couldn't have had it, learned it, seen it, or known it had we not gone through what we've gone through. One of the other things I've noticed about trials and tribulations is whatever I'm going through, it's never about me alone. You will never go through a low place, a struggle, a battle, uh, a season of, of trying uh, and, and weariness and exhaustion and loss and anguish, and it only be a benefit to you. If you're going through something, somebody somewhere is going to benefit from what you had faith and trust to endure. I've prayed for God to do a lot of things, and he did them. While I was yet praying, had my hand on a lot of, I've, I've walked up to a woman one night, she was on this platform, and she was a music director, I was just worshiping, minding my own business, and the Lord said, I need to heal her hearing. I said, what do you mean? She's a music director. He said, but she's 95% deaf. How is she the music director and she's 95% deaf? He said, she's learned how to do it. Go ask her if she'd like to be healed. He said, she's kept it a secret for years because she's afraid that if anybody finds out, she'll lose her job. Well, she was right over in this part of that platform, and she was just doing her thing for Jesus, and I walked over and just kind of flagged her down. I said, Sister, are you 95% deaf? And she started just instantly sobbing. She said, Yes, sir, I am. I said, Well, have you not told anybody that? No. I said, Is the reason because you're afraid you'll lose your job as a music director? She said, Yes, sir. And she's, I noticed she was reading my lips. I'd been there before and talked to them before. And I'd never paid attention, but she had to read your lips, especially when other sounds were around her. And I said, do you want God to heal you? Would you allow God to heal you? She said, yeah. Another preacher had walked up, and I said, hey, put your hands on her ears like that and command them to open in Jesus' name and then take your hands off. He did that, and she fell straight back in the floor, completely healed. She had never heard sound. She knew that music was beautiful, but she didn't know how beautiful the sounds that she had helped produce were. She didn't know what pianos and organs and drums really sounded like. She didn't understand what the voices of those praise singers she was leading really sounded like. And So I've seen God do that. I told you, I've seen God raise the dead. I've seen God do stuff. I watched God on, on two different occasions heal two different women who were paralyzed completely, one on the left side, one on the right side. And in 30 seconds, the first one had been restored, and the other one, it was about a two-minute deal, and God healed her hand first, then her leg, and then filled her with the Holy Ghost. I have seen, you've seen God do things that we can't explain. I've watched cancers just fall right off the side of, of, of people's necks, and then I have stood at the graveside of people that had cancer of a lesser significance, and God did not heal them. And, and I would love to tell you all the miracles that we could all stand, all of us in here, we could stand and tell miracles from now till Jesus comes that you've seen, miracles that I've seen. If we all took our time and we took our turns and we told every miracle we could, t we could remember to tell, we, we would be, we'd have to have takeout brought in here for days on end to hear it all. But all the miracles that I've seen God do, he has not done them every day. 
Every church service that I could tell you, I was in a service here and I was in a service there and this happened in that church and this week. Secondly, every church service that I've been in has not had those kinds of supernatural miracles done every single time. God's always done something, but it hadn't always been divine healings and it hadn't always been divine miracles. And there have been other times that I've laid my hands on people and prayed for them and the Lord said pray and impart grace for them to endure what they're about to go through I look at my little mama she's 80 something years old 84 85 years old and her little old fingers are withered up with arthritis and she she's stooped over and she walks with a walker most of the time and if she's in the house she don't use the walker but her stamina is not what it used to be and she's she's her mind is she she'll tell me a story at 8 a.m and at 1 p.m uh, she'll tell me that same story, and I just go along with it because sometimes I'm thankful because it, uh, what she told me at 8 a.m., I can barely remember what it was. And so, you know, when you're in your 20s, you're impatient with people. And then when you get a little older and a little grayer, you start slowing down and being a lot more patient and understanding. And, and instead of, my God, I'm having to listen to that again, I'm thinking, thank God she's reminding me what she said earlier because I would forgot it. Uh, but I, I look at her, and if ever there was a candidate for healing, it's my mama. She has been faithful. You hear me? That woman has been faithful. She has. I've never seen her mad at God. I've never, even when things didn't go her way, I have never seen her withhold or move to the back of the building. I've never, I've never seen her start moving to the back of the building and just basically saying, you know what, I'm mad at God. This didn't go the way I wanted it to. That didn't go the way I wanted it to. This should have happened. That should have happened. But at the end of the day, none of us were on that cross. He was. And at the end of the day, my name is Scott, not Jesus. At the end of the day, there is a God, and none of us are him. And we go through seasons in our lives and seasons in our churches. Because sometimes churches, whether y'all realize this or not, I'm sure you do, but it, there are times it seems like a, a bomb of infirmity goes off in a church. And in every section, in every other row, there's some kind of a diagnosis. There's somebody sick. There's an accident, there's a train wreck, a plane fell out of the sky and landed on a fisherman. They got two broke legs now. Something, there's, there's all, it just seems like every imaginable thing that could happen has happened. And we as a church will begin to wonder, what's going on here? Is this judgment? No, you're on the verge of something supernatural. And sometimes God says, you know what? I'm going to take you through a season of trying and pruning, and this is going to get you in a place where if you won't get bitter at me, you'll get better at what you're going through. And if you don't start getting mad at me and moving to the back of the building, you'll actually get up and come to the front of the building. And if you'll pay attention to what's really going on, you won't shut your worship down, but you'll step it up a notch. You'll You'll sing longer. You'll sing louder. You'll get out of that pew. You'll begin to walk up and down those aisles. Why? Everything isn't going your way. God is in charge. And if I can't believe that, then I've got to go find something else to believe in. And if I believe that he's able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that I can think or ask, when everything don't go my way, I've got to go back to that verse and say, you know what? Today, discouragement, I'm going to shout you down. Today, lie, I'm going to shout you down. Today, weariness, I'm going to worship you right out the back door of my church, out of my house, out of my life. You're not going to destroy me because I know there's a purpose for everything I go through. I can't tell you how many people I have watched walk out of the kingdom just moments before God transferred them beyond what they were going through. 
I've seen us serve God through all kind of stuff. But I watch us get mad at him when it don't go my way. We're willing to endure things as long as the end result is what I saw coming. I've told you this story. I won't go back through it, but I will remind you that on, on, on the 2nd of October and uh, 2016, I didn't see my brother's death coming. He was healthy. He was 50. Rotator cuff surgery. Pulmonary embolism. Died instantly in, in the bed. I would never saw that coming. Had no clue it was coming. I didn't know that 10 months later we were going to bury my father and I was going to have to preach both of them. I had no idea that any of that was coming. But somewhere through there, I realized if I don't get a hitch in my giddy up and get my attitude right and get my spirit right and take my wounded heart to the altar and get in a place of prayer and submit to the will of God, I'm going to end up bitter and I'm going to end up lost. Because when you've got faith and God don't respond to it, your next human reaction is oftentimes to get mad at God because he didn't do what I wanted done. But you know what? He did what was necessary, and he did what was his will, and he did what was right for me. He took my brother while he was saved. I could be mad that all these years later I don't have my brother, but I'm thankful that he took him while he was ready to go. I didn't like the 10 months of anguish that my dad went through. I didn't like having to get my family tucked in at night and then drive six miles down the road and sleep at my mom and dad's house and schedule doctor's appointments and, and chemo between all of my trips traveling and preaching. It didn't make sense to me. If I'm having to do all this to take care of my family, why don't you just send me a bucket full of money and family? He didn't do that. What he did, though, he taught me that when you travel more than you've ever traveled before, and you've got to be at chemo appointments, get off the plane, go pick up dad and mom, and go to the hospital and start chemo and sleep in the waiting room while he's in chemo. It didn't make sense. My baby grew up the first six months of his life I don't even remember because I was torn between traveling and doing all this stuff for dad but I learned something in all of that time that God will never leave me nor forsake me I'd read it before and I'd memorized it but now I knew it now I knew for a fact that no matter what I go through he's always going to be a comfort and he's always going to be our strength there are some things that God allows us to go through so that memorize scripture becomes a way of life. If we never need him to make a way, we'll never know him to be the way maker. I'll never know him as that. I'll know he was that for you. If I don't go through things in my life, I may have your testimony of open heart surgery and all that's come through. You should have died, could have died. Most people would have died, but God kept you. Well, why didn't God just do a miracle and dissolve? I, I don't know. But maybe through all that, he taught her that no matter what comes your way, you trust me. I got you. And when the world system begins to collapse and maybe the food gets short on the shelves, you remember this trial. You remember this season. You've been through your own stuff. And maybe God says, why wouldn't God heal some of you that are sick on today? Because there's a purpose in everything that we go through. And it doesn't matter whether I understand it or not or whether I can see the outcome or not. I I've got to trust God that somehow what we're dealing with is going to serve us well in the future. Wasn't fair to me that I should be underwater for 30 minutes and have my entire calf ripped off of my leg, limping and got all kind of ankle and bone problems now. 
not fun, not fair. But I cannot tell you how many times, Bishop, when the walls were closing in around me, I pulled that pant leg up and looked at all that scarred up leg. Remembered gangrene that had turned my skin as dark as these pants, as black as these pants. And I've reminded the enemy. I don't care what lie you try to tell me today. I got a written proof and record right here that for 30 minutes he kept me alive under that water. Everything was ripped off of this leg except the skin on the top and the two bones and the artery going down through there. 72 splinters and a stick they pulled out of it. How none of that punctured, I have no idea how you got this injury and that artery was not punctured and you didn't bleed out coming into, down that river. We were 15 miles up the river from the truck. I wouldn't have done that to a 14-year-old. That's how old I was, 14. What in the wide world has a 14-year-old done to deserve having to go through that? had nothing to do with what I had done. It had to do with what God had called me to do. It had to do with the Lord saying, there's going to come a day I'm going to need you to pray for at least three dead people. And I'm going to give you proof that I can do it. Don't you ever forget it. When I, whatever I call on you to do, if you question it at all, look at that leg and be remembered. Be reminded that no matter what I ask of you, I can do it. No matter what I let you go through, I'll take you through it. Thank you, Job, for going through what you went through. Thank you to all of those who died in the wilderness for being willing to go to the wilderness. I sat in that office and the Lord said, remind my people that there is a reason I have called them to go through what they're going through. There is a reason that I have allowed them to go through it and remind them that I designed them before the foundation of the world. You are not just a a pile of random DNA. You are specifically designed by God to endure something. Sometimes we look at people and it's like, my God, this person goes through loneliness and rejection and this person's never been rejected. They weren't designed for it. That's not their purpose. But God gave this one the grace and the, the ability to go through it and to endure hardness like a good soldier. Why? Because somebody else is going to be rejected. Somebody else is going to be walked out on. Somebody else's husband is going to leave them. Somebody else's wife is going to leave them. And there's got to be a witness in the body somewhere that says even when you go through this, even when you've lost everything, when somebody close to you dies and it don't make sense, you remember that even though you didn't get your way, I let you have your say, but now you get up and turn your face back toward the cross and you call on me and you let me be your comforter, you let me be your strength, you let me be your peace. Because the witness is not always to people we go to church with. There are people you've invited to church, no telling how many times. We've talked about how good God is, but now we're going through some junk. Now it don't make sense. Now the miracle stories need to really come to pass, and it seems like they're not. Now when I need you, where are you? Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever wondered where's he at? This omnipresent, he's everywhere present all the time. He's an ever-present help in the time of trouble. But what about when he don't bail us out? Am I going to charge him foolishly then? Your wife's been through health issues and all the things going on, the dizziness and all the stuff. Why, what in the world? What, 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 what sense did that make to anybody? 
People go to the doctor with health issues and nobody can explain why it's going on. And now my wife's grandmother buries her husband. Now she has the exact same surgery of a hernia and, and bowel obstruction. And now, now, while they're doing all of the testing, they have found cancerous nodules, they said, all over both lungs and in her hip bone and down in her leg bone and did a biopsy and sent her home until they get the results back. Where is God? My wife asked me one day, she said, why, why won't God just take Peppa? I said, because your uncle perhaps is one of the reasons. We walk in the ICU room with him, and there one of his sons that has not been serving God for a long time is sitting with the Bible open, tears running down his face, reading about the goodness of God to his dad, who's still in a coma, but tears are running down his face. And then when, when all of that happened, that boy didn't go back to a life of sin that he, he somehow managed through all of this to turn his face toward that cross and get a better grip on the foot of that cross and say, you know what, I've tried all that out there and that let me down, but God is one thing. I, I don't know, I, I don't know, but I'm, I'm glad that Fred Uzzle didn't lose his faith in God while he was in the middle of a trial. I'm glad that while he was laying in that hospital getting worse by the day and still conscious, he didn't get mad and curse God and walk out because it could have been that his son Michael wouldn't have been sitting somewhere reading the Bible on that same day that he was in that ICU room. Did it make sense to us that he laid in an ICU for days on end, weeks on end? No, it made no sense until we walked in and saw a backslidden child of God sitting at the foot of the bed reading the Bible and praying and calling out to God and even when he didn't get what he wanted he still kept his face turned toward God. What, what God's doing, we don't always know. But I'm thankful that people are willing to go through it so my life can be better. My wife's grandmother has not charged God foolishly. She hadn't got mad at God. She said, take whatever biopsies you want to take, but let me go to the house. She's ready to go to the house or go home. Either way, it don't make any difference to her. I know a story of a woman who was married to a man, sister, would you come melodiously play that piano really, really soft, give everybody some false hope? <clears throat> She's married to a man that was, I may have told you this story, but he was meaner than a hornet. And uh, they had four, four daughters, and she was faithful. Oh, my word, that sister was faithful. I didn't know them back in these years. I only knew her when she was in her 70s and 80s, but <clears throat> she was faithful. Oh, she was faithful. And one Sunday evening, uh, they were getting ready for church Sunday afternoon, and she had the girls dressed, and she was dressed, and she walked into the living room where he was sitting, and he was in a chair similar to that, and he had a rifle across the arms of the chair, and he called her by name. He said, I'm telling you right now, you are not taking my kids back down to that church. And if you think you're walking out those doors and getting in that car out in the garage with my kids... And taking them back to that church, I'm telling you today, I'm going to put a bullet in your head. She turned around with great resolve and looked him right in the face, called him by name. She said, well, only one of us has a decision to make. He said, what are you talking about? She said, I'm going to go be in the presence of God. And it doesn't matter to me if it's down at the church, around the altar, or around the throne. If you don't pull the trigger, I'm going to the house of God. If you do pull the trigger, I'll be around the throne in the next second. So you're the only one that's got a choice to make. Are you going to shoot me or not? But whatever you do, I'll be worshiping God here in about 30 minutes. 
She finished, when you go through the living room, just go straight out the door. Don't go over by Daddy. Just walk. He's not, he's not feeling good. Just go get in the car in the garage, and I'll be there right behind you. But if Mama don't show up, lock the doors and don't get out of that car. Do not come back in this house. If you hear a loud noise, don't come back in this house. She finished getting ready. She got her purse, and she started through the living room with her purse on. And she hears this noise. And it was him cussing under his breath and, and just grumbling and just, he was, he was angry. And when she turned to look, there was a form, silhouette of a man that she could see through it. And she stood right in front, it stood right in front of her husband. And somebody's calling me. Stood right in front of her husband and had taken that gun and was pushing it back into his midsection. Like where Brother Williams is sitting, he had that rifle across him, and that angel was pushing that gun back into his body. Wouldn't let him pick it up, wouldn't let him get up, held him there. And she just kept right on walking and got in the car and went to the house of God, and she was worshiping around the altar about 20 minutes later. Why did she have to go through all of that? I don't know. She's a good woman. You hear me? He got mad at her another day, and he told her, he said, uh, he called her by name. He said, I'm going to kill you. I've had it. She was in her sewing room, and um, he came walking down the hall to where she was. He said, today I'm going to kill you. He'd been drinking. He stepped in and reached up and grabbed her around the throat, and all she could say was Jesus before he cut a man. That same angel came and got between them and grabbed him around the throat and walked him back up the hall. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Why God let her go through that, all the reasons why, I don't know. But I watched him in her later years up until her death use her so powerfully and prophetically. The woman was a prophetess. The valleys that she had to go through, the trials she had to endure, all they did was intensify her commitment to him. All they did was solidify to her that no matter what it is I go through, God's got it. And if he don't change it, I know he can. But if he doesn't, if he don't, my collarbone will not stay in place. I've been up all night long. Can't lay on my left side, and I can pop it, and it'll go back in place. This shoulder's got to where it pops out all the time, and I can reach around and grab it. And there it went. I can pop it right back into place. It's getting harder to hold microphones because of my shoulder and my collarbone. I don't know what in the world. It don't make sense to me, and I know God can heal it. And I laid hands on it this morning in the hotel room. I got this hand over on this collarbone, look like a mummy, and got this one over on my shoulder. God, you can do it. I trust you. I believe you for it. I'm speaking healing over my body. But if you're not going to do it, give me grace and strength to go do what I've got to go do. I don't know why God don't do everything that I ask him for. Does or not, or until he does, I'm going to trust him. A lot of people are going to go to heaven because of faith. Some people are going to go to hell because they didn't trust God. I got to trust him. I got to trust him. Can't get bitter with him. Y'all, none of you have ever made the statement, pray my strength in the Lord because I have. But sometimes, Brother Williams, my knee-jerk response to things has been, Lord, after all I've done, Y'all know what I'm talking about. Have you ever heard anybody make those kinds of statements? After all these years of serving you, 
And then as soon as I say it, I always have this vision of Calvary. And the question very gently to me is, how does what you've been through compare to that? And I'm like, I don't. I'm sorry. I won't complain anymore. I won't say anything else. I trust you. When my brother died, oh, man, I was on the phone with my nephew when the doctor came in and said, we've lost him. I had to call my sister. I had to call my mom's pastor, my friend. I didn't call mom and dad because they're barreling down the highway at 80-something miles an hour. I laid that phone down before I called everybody else I had to call. While I can. Because if I don't, I may get so bitter that I won't say it later. I trust you. I don't understand this. I don't like this. It makes absolutely no sense to me. But I'm going to trust you. Found out Malachi was a boy on the same day that I found out my dad had stage four cancer and I had to tell him. He couldn't hear the doctor. The doctor was real soft-spoken. My mother was so addled, it didn't make nothing they had said made any sense to her. And I had to get down a week after I just buried my brother. Now I'm on my knees in the doctor's office. The oncologist sitting there and I'm having to repeat to my parents what the doctor was telling me and say it so my dad could hear it. And had to watch that expression come over his face of stage four. And it's everywhere from your brain to your left hip. Every lymph node you've got, your liver, your kidneys. It was everywhere. I'm going to tell you something. Right that minute, I did not. I did. I'm going to be honest. I didn't feel like running the aisle. I want to sing glad hosannas to nobody. Right that minute, I was, I was pretty messed up emotionally. Because I knew that without a miracle, it was just a matter of time before I was going to have to bury my father. Less than a year. Why God didn't take him instantly, I still don't have the full understanding of that. But I had to tell the Lord that night in my house. I had to go by myself somewhere and tell him again, I don't understand this either. I, do, I don't understand all of your ways. But what I do understand is your character, and I trust you. You wouldn't allow this if somehow it did not fit in your will and have a kingdom purpose. So give me the grace and the strength to accept your will, and I thank you for trusting me to go through it. I looked at a little woman one day that was in church, and she was doing her best to worship God. She was so crippled up arthritic in every joint. You hear me? It was bad. Her hands were worse than my mama's little hands. And I asked the Lord, I was sitting on the second pew. I was a young man. I asked the Lord, I said, why, why don't you heal her? If anybody in this room deserves it, she does. Why don't you heal her? And he said to me, because I can trust her. And she will stand as an indictment in eternity against every healthy person who could have clapped, who could have worshipped, who could have stood, 
who could have sung, who could have done anything and wouldn't. She will stand as an indictment. And when they want to argue with me about why they couldn't serve God, I'm going to point at her and many more like her and say, you know what? She was faithful in her infirmities. You could have been too. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Brother Morgan has been in the hospital for three weeks now. Talked to his brother yesterday. He, he gave me the details of how close they came to losing him on Monday morning. He coded. In fact, he said the doctor told him we lost him one or two times. It don't always make sense. But before the foundation of the world was laid, God knew that each one of us would be right here, right now, going through what we're going through. I want everybody to stand with me if you would. Now unto him that is able. But the thing I've had to come to terms with in my life is the fact that God is sovereign. And he does what his will is, not mine. And I have had to learn, and I'm still learning, how to be submitted to a sovereign God who's unchanging. He doesn't waver. His promises are forever settled in heaven, yea, and amen. Can God heal every sickness in this room? Yes. Is he going to always do that? No. Hezekiah, get your house in order. And we saw the results of that deal when the Lord let him have it his way. His iniquity was so strong. He refused the will of God. We can fight and kick and push and scream and argue. To Calvary, you took a beating for my healing, and I'm claiming my healing. Nevertheless, I received that. And if you're not, I received that too. Whatever your will is, I want to be able to endure it so that when I come out on the other side of this season, I can stand and still testify to the fact that you're who you are and you are able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that we think or ask. What God's able to do is not changed by what he decides to do, what his will is to do. If you're in the middle of a season that don't make sense and you need God's involvement and anything that's been said today has ministered to you or your family, I want you to come to this front right now. You got just, I'm going to give you about 15 seconds to move. We're not going to tarry long. <clears throat> it don't make sense, Brother Shelton. I know it don't. But I got to stop trying to make sense of everything and give it to Him. I just, I just got to give some stuff to God. You know what I'm talking about? I got to give some stuff to God. I got to give grief to Him. I've got to give loss to Him. I've got to give my uncertainties to Him, my fear to Him. Now I want the rest of you saints of God to come gather around these. Y'all step forward if you would so we can get around you. I want the body to come. Brother Williams, I want you to come as the bishop of this church of God, the strength of God. Some of you, he's going to do miracles and heal you. Some of you, he's going to do miracles and empower you with the grace to go through what you're going through. 
but you remember his promises. They're sure, they're settled, and they're forever established. And what he has said he will do, he'll do it. Lift your hands. Saints of God, come gather around them right now. If they've got their hands up, you come and pray for them right now, if you will.